guess that silence means we have to start. Okay. Well, good afternoon. My name is Andre, Andre Bay. I pastor a church up in the North Shore, at the North Shore in England. <laughs> because you have to cross the bridge. It's a different country. Um, so North Shore, Shore Baptist Church. I've been there for about five and a half years now. Um, you'll hear from my accent. It's South African. And yes, I do support the All Blacks, but there's a little bit of green still in me. I uh, have to. But it's been such a joy for me being, being in New Zealand for the past five and a half years, pastoring a church that was, uh, that was left to me by the previous pastor who planted the church 36 years ago. So uh, Pastor Steve Turner, he pastored there and left the church in such a beautiful state that I could literally just walk in and no ripples, just continue faithfully preaching the Word of God as He did before me. So such a blessing to be in a church like that. With all that said, I know who I am, kind of. Um, Let us pray and then we'll get into the topic. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the fact that You have saved us and made us Your own, that You have taken us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, regenerated us by the work of the Holy Spirit, gave us this, this wonderful life that we can now be those who walk with God, who worship God, and with this knowledge that this faith of ours given to us will carry us throughout life until that moment when we will part from this earth and be joined with our Savior for all eternity, pure blameless, spotless, the bride of Christ. Until then, Lord, we pray that we will live our lives in a manner that glorifies you. And as part of that, in how we, how we respond to this glorious truth of who you are and what you have done, I ask that you would lead us this afternoon to understand how, how that looks like or, or what it looks like in particular in our emotions as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so the, uh, the topic that I'm going to speak about is when my affections are unaffected. And um, as I go through, I will have to give a few definitions on what I mean by affections because it's a word that can mean several different things. Um, but the reason I started studying this is a dear young lady in our church came to me one afternoon, and um, she said to me, I love Christ with all my heart. I serve in the church, and she does. But she says, sometimes I just feel no emotions. I pray, and it's dull. I serve God, and there's no joy. What should I do? And I realized, as she asked me that question, I realized, well, that's true with me as well sometimes. I also go through times when you just go through the motions and, and you have to ask the question, well, how should our emotions be in line with that, what we believe? So what, do we, what are we to consider then when, when I lose my joy, when I lose my zeal, when I lose my energy as we walk with God? And part of, part of the whole thing and how this informed me in my life is I had... I had the privilege to be a pastor now for close to 25 years, scary thought. Um, and on several occasions, you would be in conversation with people and you hear their struggles. But also, I have observed other things. I went down to the catacombs in Kiev 
is called Lavra. And as you walk down those catacombs, it's dark, it's wet, and it's eerie. Because there are coffins all over the place and you find people going down with their little candles and they would pray to the saints who are buried in the catacombs. Some of those coffins have an open little, well not an open window, but a window, luckily not open, but a window and you can actually see this face of an old saint who must have lived five, six hundred years ago. And as they worship there, tears are running down their cheeks. There is a real emotional response to what they're doing. They're not, they're not standing there cold. And then obviously you have the other side of the coin, where I ministered for some time in Germany. And forgive me if you are German, it's not common to all Germans. But I was in a conversation with a German brother, and, and they told me that emotions should not be part of worship. Even ridiculed us for trying to express um, any emotion in worship. I remember the topic was a Paul Garrard hymn. Now, Paul Garrard wrote quite a few really good German hymns, very long, sometimes 19 verses. So we sang all 19 verses. And um, the melody to that particular hymn was just horrendous. It was, Paul Garrard was great with the lyrics, but... Man, the music was just bad, and it was about the love of God. And I, I just say to the church, listen, this is a great hymn, but I don't think we should sing it to this tune, because it's too complicated. And one of my dear brothers, German brothers, told me, no, it is appropriate, because God's love is complicated. So it was a true response in his mind, at least. Well, the fact is that we are made, we are created with emotions. We cannot ignore emotions. They are part of who we are. But the seed of those emotions are in the mind and in the heart. And one of those need to be renewed. That's our mind. And the other one, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. So we start with a problem. How can we have true emotions or emotions or affections that are actually in line with our biblical understanding? How how should we discern our emotions? How should we discern our affections, as it were, then? Any true worshiper of God seeks to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We want our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole being should be worshiping God. Jonathan Edwards, and you would, you would have guessed this, um, I'm going to lean quite a lot on, on some of his writings. He said this, he said that religion, or that religion which God requires and will accept, does not consist in weak, dull, and lifeless wishes, raising us up but a little above a state of indifference. God, in His Word, greatly insists upon it, that we be good and earnest, fervent in spirit, and our hearts vigorously engaged in religion, according to Romans 12. Well, if you know, maybe Jonathan Edwards, he was very instrumental in New England as the revival broke out there in 1730s around. And uh, he saw quite a few abuses when it came to expression in revival. So he asked the question, what does true emotions look like? What does our affection or how, does our, how do our affections affect 
our lives in Christ and in worship. Now, you and I also know that there are copies, and I, I'm going to go so far as to say demonic copies, of this emotional response to things that we experience. And we find that even in so-called churches, where the emotions become the main thing. And people go there and say, well, this is my expression of my faith, and yet we need to ask the question, is it true? So as we seek, as Bible-believing Christians, as we seek for, for enthusiasm in our worship, it is a good word to know. Enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm is made up of two words, in and theos. In, God. So enthusiasm is something that a Christian, even if we just look at the word, should have. Our expressions in worship, our response to the things that we know about God should always be enthusiastic. I don't think we should be those who are cold towards the things of God. But in our zealous search for true zeal and, and proper enthusiasm, we find ourselves very often with this inner struggle, don't we? It's between the mind and our emotions. I know certain things and my emotions lead me in a different path. It starts with the mind, though, having to connect rightly with the Word of God. That's where it all starts. And the Word of God should inform our mind, and our mind then should lead our hearts to proper worship, like true religion. That's the word that Jonathan Edward uses. So true biblical Christianity, therefore, does not shy away from feelings at all, but it has proper feelings. It has emo emotions that are in line with truth. And this is especially helpful for those who are struggling with things in your life at the moment. We all go through life and there's suffering, there's pain, there are joys. And very often we have to ask that question, I don't feel my prayers reaching God. We ask them, even if we're very, very strong in the Word of God and, and we believe everything rightly, sometimes, sometimes our emotions lead us to that point where we ask these questions. And it's okay to ask those questions. I think it's the, the best thing we could probably do. Or we say, I don't, get any, I don't get anything while I'm reading my Bible. In other words, there's, no, there's no, no sparks, there's no tears. It's just me reading the Bible and I'm done and I go off and I do the next thing. Or I have lost my joy or my zeal. That zeal and joy that I had in the beginning when I came to faith in Christ. I think we can all relate to this problem. And when our Christian lives become so burdensome, or joyless, exhausting, because we have confused or falsely maybe informed our emotions, we are in trouble because then we are not worshiping God the way that He expects us to worship Him. He created us to enjoy Him. He created us also to respond properly when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. There should be the right response to the truths that we've been exposed to. So it is therefore clear that when our affections are unaffected, there's something wrong in our Christian life and our walk with God. And it's something that we shouldn't just put on the shelf and say, well, I'm okay, or this is just 
a season that I'm going through. I think any Christian should ask ourselves, how can I be right with God always? So the three main sections that I want to deal with really, the first one is what I hope to achieve actually this session is to speak a little bit about what are affections? What are they when we speak about affections? And what is the difference between affections and emotions? Secondly, what does it, how does it happen that we lose a proper emotional response to God and the things of God? We are here at a conference that speaks about the Holy Spirit. Doesn't the Holy Spirit produce these things in our lives? So what happens to us to produce a wrong response or sometimes no response at all? And then finally, we will look at some remedies or how we, how we, can, how we can get back on track, as it were, if we are deeply affected by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, then surely our emotions should be properly responding to that. So, before we go on, let's start with the definition. Affections and emotions. I think we are far more familiar with the word emotion. It's a word that we use far more often than affection. Affection is kind of an old English word, I would imagine. You find these terms, though, very often used by the Puritans. In our spiritual conversations, usually we speak about emotions and, and uh, we discuss that exhilaration, that warm feeling that's in our heart. Uh, sometimes we speak about the sadness that come over us when we are exposed to our sin. Um, or we speak about that happy emotion that just fills us and, and sometimes even expresses itself in, in you jumping up and down. I told this to my church a while ago. I said, there are times when I would be preparing, and I'm so glad no one else is there in the room, because you would read the Scriptures and just suddenly, just the weight of this glorious gospel of ours and the Lord Jesus Christ just fills my heart, and I literally just jump up from my seat and, ah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, in a Reformed Baptist church, you don't do that. So, so you have to be careful what people see, but that is, I think, a right response to what I've just just been reading. And other times, as you know, the, the weight of our sin just come upon us and, and we measure ourselves in the sight of God's holiness and, and you have to be quiet. Like Job there at the end of the book saying, I'm going to put my mouth, uh, my hand over my mouth. I'm going to be quiet now. So in most cases, I think it is, it is that battle, the battle that rages in our hearts between the flesh and the spirit. I want to be sincere in my worship. I want to be true in my worship. I want to exercise true religion, like Jonathan Edwards says. Otherwise, we are creating a religion that is fed by our emotions that go up and down, and it is not a faith that is fed by objective, the, the objective transcendent Word of God. And that's what we aim for. Now, definitions. I said Oxford Dictionary gives us a definition for emotions, and this is what they say, a strong feeling deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationship with others. So if you're in love, you have a strong feeling derived from the relationship. Sometimes if you get bad news, those circumstances causes you to have a certain emotional response. Now in that definition, the one word that I want to look at because that affects our affections is the word derived from. 
Our emotions are derived from our affections. And our affections are informed by the truth in God's Word. So emotion, therefore, is that felt response to whatever informs our emotion. For example, you win the lottery. What would your emotional response be? Hope not happy, because you're a Christian. You should feel guilty. <laughs> True? All right. Got you there for a moment. So, oh, yeah, I got it. But the circumstances of that, what just happened to you, produces a certain emotional response. If you, if you are sitting there, and it is the World Cup again, and uh, you wear green and gold, and you lose, you're sad. If you wear black and you win again, you are happy. A natural response to the circumstances that you've just been exposed to. So the circumstances produced the emotions. We also need to admit that our emotions, though, are real. They're not something that that we can just switch on and off. They are there. God created us with emotions. So to propose that we should not have any emotions is really preposterous, and it's unbiblical. I'll show that. Jonathan Edwards, again, he said, True religion, in great part, consists in holy affections. In other words, affections and emotions that are set apart for the glory of God. He starts off by, by quoting, obviously, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Where Peter writes and he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter even, he says, in our faith, even though we don't see God, even though we don't walk with him, as the disciples did for a time. Now we relate to him in faith. And what does that faith produce? Joy and a sense of glory to him. Now the Puritans, like I said, they often wrote about emotions. And the word they used was the word passions. And they often spoke about passions in a negative way. As a matter of fact, they, they, um, they would warn against Unhealthy passions, unhealthy emotions, always bringing people back to the Word of God. And I think that's obviously where it starts. But they also spoke about the beauty of emotions and passions. Because emotions in and of themselves are not evil. They are a gift, a tremendous blessing to us as believers. Let me show you some examples, and you know where I'm going to. All the Psalms. I'll just, I'll just read a few verses. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to go quickly through them. But if you want to take notes, you're welcome. Psalm 4, verse 1 and 4. Listen to the emotion in these psalms. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. You cannot read the Psalms without feeling the emotion of the psalmist. Psalm 5, verse 1 to 2. Give ear to me or give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning 
Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I do pray. Psalm 6 verse 2 and later from verse 6 onwards, he said, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languished. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Can you hear? That is not a man without emotions. It is a man whose emotions are informed by his circumstances, and he goes to God with his emotions. But it's not all gloom. Also happy emotions in the Psalms. Psalm 34 Verse 2 to 3 and then verse 8. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and what? And be glad. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 95 verse 1, 1 to 2 and then again 6. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Charles Spurgeon, when he preached from this sermon, he spoke about a... Uh, uh, Oh, no, I forgot what he said. It's something about a holy, holy noise kind of thing. Do you remember, Mr. Spurgeon? It was something, something about just a, a noise that was, that was exuberant. Oh, that's the word, exuberant worship. That's what he used. Exuberant worship. Well, it is a, an emotional response to the truth of the gospel. The Psalms are essential for us to have a realistic expression of truth in our lives as we come to God. David and all the other psalmists, they were real men, real people. They had real emotions. Life affected them in exactly the same way as life affects you. And Edwards calls for a true religion. We are calling today again for our affections and our emotions to be in line with truth. This is where we then go to the definition of affections. The word affection originates from, from French, and uh, originally it meant to influence. I like that. Affection to influence. And I'm going to skip Oxford because I think Mr. Edwards is better here in his, in his definition of affections. In his treatise on religious affections, he says, It might be inquired what the affections of the mind are. I answer, he answers, in other words, the affections are no other than the more vigorous and sensible exercises of the inclination and the will of the soul. May I repeat that? The affections are no other than the more vigorous and sensible exercises of the inclination and will of the soul. Oceans mind tell me about my God in my circumstances? What is that deepest thought of my soul when things go bad? Or what is that deepest thought in my soul when I can rejoice in the gospel? Or when I'm confronted with the glory of Christ? While our emotions are, are derived from our circumstances, from the mood, from our relationships, our affections are owned by whoever occupies the seat of my heart. 
And that is the point. My affections or the inclinations of my soul should be owned by Christ. A good way of testing your affections, therefore, is to ask the simple question, who or what affects me most? What affects you most in life? Is it that cancer diagnosis? Is it the birth of your child? Is it that upcoming marriage you spend so much time and energy in? Or is it still Christ? Because He should affect my heart and my soul. And my heart and soul's inclination, affection, should be placed upon Him and informed by Him. So we'll see that our affection plus our circumstances will give rise to our emotions. It leads us then to express that in a certain way. Again, Jonathan Edwards, he links this affection so closely with what he calls the inclinations and our will. Let me quote him here. He says, As all the exercises of the inclination and will are either in approving or liking or disapproving and rejecting, so the affections are of two sorts. They are those by which the soul is carried out to what is in view, cleaving to it, holding on to it, seeking it, or those by which it is averse from it and oppose it. So in other words, our affection informs our emotion. And our affection is that within us that causes us to rest and to settle in Christ. That is what informs my affections. And that then leads to a proper emotional response. So the second point, how does it happen then that we lose a proper emotional response to God and the things of God? What is it that causes us to get to that point where we say, I don't believe God even hears my prayers. I don't feel Him. Or where is that joy that I had in the beginning of my, of my Christian walk? Or where is that sense of, of the weight of sin in my life? Now, the believer's present life is motivated by two time epochs. We are motivated by the past and we are motivated by the future. Not my past and not my future, although my future is included in this, but it is the future revealed to us in Christ and the past already revealed to us in Christ. Let me explain this. The past. In God's revelation, the past is described as God's works, what God has done. God's word speaks of all God's historical dealings with mankind, from creation through to redemption and beyond. So our affections, the inclination of my soul and the will of my mind, are informed by that which God has revealed about himself in the past. Everything that God has done. That informs my affection so that I can have an inclination towards Him. Because when I read the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament as well, we see there that, that God has spoken. He first spoken to the prophets or by the prophets. He's spoken by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He informs us in what He has done in the past that He is a good, faithful, loving, gracious, just, righteous, holy God. My affections are now informed by these truths of the past so that I can now live out in an emotional response because of that. Our affections, our will, our inclinations are moved by what we came to know about God's character. 
his actions and his will for us. But also the future. The future, as described in God's word, speaks of God's promises relating to man. It confirms that there is a sure and a certain hope of preservation for the saints. That informs my affections that I will never be lost. A glorious life in the presence of God that awaits for me. That I am elect, that I belong to Him. That there is a joyful and a grateful worship that, that is prepared for me. So again, my affections, my will, my inclinations are moved towards that which are promised in the future. It goes without the need to explain that therefore if we neglect, misuse, distrust, or deny the revelation of God, that we would end up with skewed affections. If we don't go to the source, we will go somewhere else and our affections will be affected by something else. This goes both ways. <clears throat> Let me give an example. I can be so euphoric because of a good worship song. And yet that worship song can be totally void of scriptural truth. I am affected, ain't I? I've heard words, maybe usually quite repetitive, sadly. But something happens. My affections are now towards that feeling or produces a feeling. And now I like this feeling. So suddenly I find myself, I don't care so much about content in worship songs. I just love the feeling. So my affections are not inclined towards God anymore. It is now inclined towards this buzz that I get from bad worship music. Or I already have a God of my own making. And because my affections and inclinations and will are loyal to this false God I have created in my mind, now I hate the true God. So my affections towards that which is not true is now producing a hatred towards that which is true. Now I'm aware that I'm mainly talking here to a good crowd of people who love Christ and um, I would imagine the great m majority of you here are those who hold to the inerrancy and the infallibility, the sufficiency of God's word. Otherwise, I doubt that you came here voluntarily. <laughs> the word of God is the most precious thing in our lives. So I want all my affections, the inclination of my heart and soul, to be informed by the Word of God so that I can know that every emotional response I have is true. That is why then, that even among such Christians, we do find that proper affections leading to proper emotional response is important, and yet we find it lacking. Why is it that we find ourselves sometimes being lukewarm? Why is it that we don't always have the proper religious response to truth? Why are we lacking in zeal? Having no sadness over sin, etc. Well, I'm going to give you a few reasons I believe the Bible says that that's the case. First of all, I think it is pure neglect. The Bible says a lot about neglect. First of all, when we neglect the gospel, 
How often do you preach the gospel to yourself? Who say that? Someone very famous. Preach the gospel always to yourself. We need to do that. Because every time I'm exposed to the fact that Jesus Christ saved me, and how he did that, like, like what we heard yesterday evening, from the foundation of the earth, even before he has, he has written my name in the book of life, and then signed it with the blood of the Lamb. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In other words, here is the gospel. You've heard it. Now pay attention to it. Otherwise, what will happen? It's like a ship, and its anchor is lifted, and the captain is asleep. It will just drift out into the ocean. He goes on, verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You and I cannot neglect our salvation. We need to ponder it over and over again. Because if we do, our affections will be informed properly so that every time we hear the gospel, we will have the proper emotional response. Otherwise, it either becomes no response, which is an emotional response of coldness, or it can be a wacky response, which is not in line with God's word. The second thing we should not neglect is fellowship with believers. Hebrews 10, you know that verse, and let, uh, verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to do what? To stir up one another. There's a lot of stirrers in the church. This is not what's meant there. It's more like stirring up, helping one another in our, in our, in our love towards one another, not neglecting to meet together. Brothers and sisters, your emotions will be affected when you don't meet with God's people regularly because your affections are not fed by God's people and the gifts that are distributed even in this room through God's Word. We cannot neglect the fellowship of other believers. Otherwise, our emotions will end up at the wrong place. The third thing we should not neglect is the ministry of the church. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, you have, you have this picture of all the builders coming together and, and they're busy there in Jerusalem. And, and this, is, this is what we read in verse 39. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain and wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers who will not neglect the house of our Lord or our God. If you neglect the house of God, the church, the people that God has placed you in as a family, you are sure to have your affections affected negatively. Let's go on. The instruction that you have received, Proverbs 8.33, hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. I'm a father, three children, and if any one of you are a father of any amount of children, you would know this is the struggle for any parent. The neglect of the instruction. How many times do you need to say the same thing over and over again? Well, dear parents, aren't we just like that in the eyes of God? We should not neglect the instructions of God. And, and I, love, I love what I've heard so far in the conference about the grace of God. And 
Oh, believe me, that is the most wonderful, wonderful gift given to us. But the Word of God is full of imperatives, full of instructions. This is how you should live your life. We cannot go back and say, well, grace is so wonderful, so now I can go on sinning. Isn't that what Paul said? Do not neglect the instructions that are given to you. If you neglect them, you're going to fall in sin, and the joy of the Lord will disappear in your life. What about the gift that you have received? 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I'm going to move a little bit away from that actual verse, but just the principle in that verse. I always say this as well to our church, that every single person in the church is a gift to the church. There's so much confusion about the gifts of the Spirit. I think the big problem is people think that gift is mine. The gift that God has invested in your life belongs not to you, but to the church. It is God's gift to the church. It is to build up the church. Well, if you neglect that gift that God has given you, guess what? The whole church suffers and you, as part of the church, will suffer. I had this, this little conversation of a few years ago with a few people in our church, dear, dear brothers and sisters, and, and they were keen evangelists. And our church was a little bit slow in that area, so, so they were really not happy with that fact. And, and they said, we cannot be at our church anymore because there's no evangelism happening. And I say to them, imagine a round table, and there are the two evangelists who sit there. But there's a lady who prays every single day. There's a man who teaches well. There's a woman who works in the Sunday school. There's a young man who helps in the Sunday school. I said, what happens if we take the lady who prays and she says, no one else is praying in this church. I'm leaving. Out. Or the guy who teaches says, oh, no one wants to, wants to join the Sunday school. I'm out. You see what happens? The whole church suffers because in these various people's gifts are being dispensed by God so that the whole congregation can be blessed with whomever the Lord has given us. Do not neglect the gift the Lord has given you in your church. And then obviously the service that you are called to, um, Luke chapter 11, 42, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and and neglect justice and the love of God. Just the normal things that we should do as Christians. Do not neglect it. Hospitality. Hebrews 13. Do not neglect hospitality. Wonderful gifts. If you start neglecting the normal things of God, your affections are not with God anymore. Your affections are not informed by God's word through God's people anymore. The other reason why our affections are wrongly affected is because of sin. I know it goes without saying, but it is almost unimaginable to think that this needs to be said, and yet it has to. Our hearts are deceitful and our minds need constant renewal. How can we have true religious affections, inclinations of the will, when we lean towards sin. Because what is sin other than my affection for the gratification of my flesh? What is sin other than informing my affections to create a certain emotion that is wrong, that is against God's word? This is the direct antithesis of where God wants our hearts to be. 
God wants my whole heart, my whole mind, everything of me should be saturated with the desire of Him. Personally, I want my God. And sin, what does it do? takes me exactly away from Him. Sin is nothing more than suppressing the presence of God in your life, saying, God, just stand over there for a second. Right now, my heart, my mind, the inclination of my soul is not you. As a pastor, I have to often counsel people in the church, and, and it's so obvious that most of the problems that we struggle with are first and foremost, we don't acknowledge sin. It's not me, it's the other person. Or they are not seeing the seriousness of their sin. You know, it's, it's just my character flaw. I know I'm a little bit tense, or I'm a little bit sensitive, or I'm a little bit that. No, it's sin. And as long as our inclinations are towards sin, not wanting to repent, well, guess what our emotions would look like? It will not be true. The Bible doesn't, doesn't play with when it comes to sin. Just in the imperatives towards us, gouging out your eye, cutting off your arm, shedding blood, and that's nothing. We see the weight of sin on the cross where our Savior dies, that it would cost the only begotten, beloved Son of God, to forgive our sins. If you ever want to know how bad is your sin, you look there. Sometimes we just resign ourselves to the fact that we are sinners. Oh yeah, we're sinners. We are sinners. And God is kind of okay with that because God knows that we are sinners. Many Christian people are unhappy and they are fruitless in their faith because they have given themselves over to pornography, bitterness in their hearts, constantly holding things against other people, or whatever else our hearts love more than Christ. And then they put that, that affection and emotion all upon those things that they love more than Christ. That's the only reason we struggle with these things. We harbor sin and we forget to find our joy and true and true affections in him brothers and sisters sin is a burden we know it it is a weight it is something that entangles us it's something that hinders us we cannot have true affections and 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 god glorifying emotions if we harbor sin in our life and then thirdly bad theology with bad theology i mean a misunderstanding whether it is willfully or even ignorantly about who god is this could produce certain affections leading to certain emotions that might look like true religion, and yet they are not. I know a lot have been said this weekend about some of the way out, like really bad theology kind of people, like, like Bill Johnson. I want to call him out by name. What those people are doing are just absolutely false. It is so not God, and yet people flock to those people. They sit in their thousands listening to them. Just, just a week ago, I think we read in the newspaper that they are planning, or on Facebook, where was it? They're planning to open a, a what do they call it? A spirit, whatever, university, where they want to train people how to abuse the Holy Spirit, really. That's what they're doing. 
So in other words, your bad theology will create certain affections in your heart and suddenly you find yourself so immersed in those things and you have no clue. It is an ignorant theology. Edward spent most of his treatise on religious affections on this. He speaks of signs in expressions of worship that he said might be true, but they can also be not true. <laughs> Having to discern between certain things. Like, for example, you listen to a worship song and, and um, yeah, they might be repetitive, but at least they say there, Jesus is Lord, and, and you kind of, yeah, he's Lord, and suddenly you find yourself, yes, he's Lord, and, you know, emotions respond. And, and Jonathan Edwards would say, these people would come to his church and there's re- revival breaking out. And people are confessing their sins. They, they're on the ground crying out for mercy before God. But they're not the only ones. The people came from all over to see what's happening there. And soon enough, they caught whatever is happening there. And they almost mimicked that. They might have experienced whatever is happening in the room as exhilarating. These things are happening. And we find ourselves like that sometimes. I remember I went to a, to a very... A uh, very charismatic church in Australia. I'm not going to say which one it is, but uh, they meet on the second floor of a building. It's an old, it's an old building. It used to be a um, a fruit and vegetable market, and everything is black in this church. And the music goes on, and there's lights and smoke. You know, everything a Reformed Baptist church would love to have. And you, <laughs> and and. Uh, and suddenly they start singing, and the band is brilliant. I mean, my, my friend who invited me to this thing, he does the sound. The soundboard is about from there to here. And you press a person's name, and all these buttons just go, Whoosh. that's how John likes his monitor in his ear, you know, kind of thing. And as they sing, you just, everything, everything is, it takes you up. Because everything is made to produce that. Now, me being Reformed Baptist and all, everyone's jumping up and down, and I'm just standing there still praising God my own way. And I could feel this, this floor going, going like this. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to die in a charismatic church. That would be, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> but the point is that we can be so much into these things that we think it is true. That's why your theology needs to be spot on always. We need to always ask ourselves, am I believing truth? Are my affections informed by the truth or is it informed by the emotional buzz that I get over here? Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 1. He says, verse 9 to 11, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. We are to grow together as the family of God with knowledge and discernment. And discernment is one of those words that we really struggle with. I've, I think more you Kiwis than we South Africans. We discern very quickly. And we let you know. Wrong! Right! Wrong! Right! Yeah? But we have to be people who discern truth. We are called to discern truth. It's like, it's like the illustration of that compass when you start and it says, Go five degrees north-northwest. And your compass, you just you 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 start maybe six degrees. In the beginning, it's it's a very very narrow deviation, but you end up in a completely different country. 
We have to be firm in our theology, know God's Word, love God's Word, study God's Word, find churches where the Word of God is faithfully preached. All right, those were the troubles. Now the remedies, and with that I need to close. How do we fix our wrong emotions or our, our failed affections? First of all, I think it's simple. Just understand your own human condition. You are created in the image of God with a longing to worship and a longing to worship with your whole being. I want to worship God with my whole mind engaged, my whole heart engaged, and whatever other organs produces within me glory to His name. I want my whole being to be engaged when we sing a song to the glory of God. And I'm a pastor. I sit in the church in the morning on Sunday mornings, and we have a worship team, and, and they do an amazing job, and we sing songs there, great old hymns and new ones. And, you know, for, for example, this morning we sang, we, um, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And how many of us would actually just sit for a second and think, holy, holy, holy. And I sat there again this morning, again, thinking to myself, this is now verse 4. Andre, you have sung Three verses, and your affections haven't been touched by these truths at all. Know your human nature, not because it's an excuse, but because we know that we should, that we should rest on Christ and His Holy Spirit and obey Him. We are created with emotions, yet those emotions are corrupted by sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a beautiful, beautiful book called Spiritual Depression. If you ever want to read a great book, it's, it's fantastic. And he says here, he says, we are very variable creatures and our feelings are of everything that belong to us, the most variable of all. Your feelings are always going to be up and down. Sometimes you're going to sit in a worship service and it's going to be completely overwhelming you. Other times you're going to be there and you're going to be wondering where my mind is. And then secondly, be truly saved. Dare I say that? I know how weird this might sound, but unless you are truly born again, your heart and mind are still slaves to sin. You're still darkened to the realities and the beauties of Christ. And our pulpits, we look upon people, and I know, I know, there are some who are not saved. And no matter how much I try as a preacher to present the glory of God through His Word, I know for some people they will just never see it because they're dead in their sins. And they're blinded to the truth. Unless you are born again, you will never have the right affections because the inclination of your heart will always be deviating from the truth. But a born-again believer, a son or a daughter of Christ, that's what he did. When He saved you. He made you alive to Himself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Religion born from the heart of man can only produce affections that please the heart of man. But religion born from God produces proper affections to the glory of God. And there's a real danger, I think, in having a familiarity with the things of God without having Christ. I think there's no worse position to be in than to think you are saved. And yet you are not. Because no one can tell you you are not. In your mind, you are saved. You're sitting there in the pew. 
You're doing evangelism. You're, 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 you're doing all kinds of things for God until Christ comes and He says, Depart from me. I do not know you. What a terrible state that must be to be in. So make sure you are saved. That is the surest remedy to have true affections. And then love God first for who He is before you love God for what He has done. Now that is a little bit difficult. Forgive me because what God is and what He does goes hand in hand. But I think very often people, people love God for what He does. What does your prayer life look like? Let's be honest for a second. I know mine. You know, hallowed be thy name. Now, please, Lord, please give me this. Lord, please help so-and-so. Please, it is as if, as if it's always, please, 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 like a slot machine. You know, let's see what God is going to do next. No. We must love God for who He is. We must love Him because He's holy. We must love Him because He's righteous and good. We must love Him even because He's just and His wrath is going to be perfect. We must love Him completely for who He is. Long before we love Him for what He has done. But obviously we do love him for what he has done. He has saved us. I, many years ago, I remember I, I, was, I was thinking of a certain doctrine about the nature of God. And I remember this thought came into my mind saying, do you understand that if you have ignorantly or willfully have a view of God which is not true to what God truly is, what do you have? You have a false God. You are believing in something that is not true about God. Now, in all things we do sometimes deviate. Again, know the nature of man. But my aim and my goal is I want to know God truly as He is. That is when my affections will be truly and rightly affected. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this. He says, it is primarily truth. And truth is addressed to the mind. God's supreme gift to man. Only Lloyd-Jones believed that. The mind is the supreme gift to man. But he went on, he says, And it is when we apprehend and submit ourselves to the truth that our feelings will follow. In other words, know God and your feelings will be true. I must never ask myself in the first instance, he said, What do I feel about this? What do I feel about election? What do you feel about election the first time you heard it? I felt, that's not fair. What do I feel about this? The first question is, do I believe this? Am I willing to submit myself to this? Do I accept this? Has it gripped me? Those are the questions we need to ask. The rest, I'll just quickly go through. My time is done. The Word of God. Fill yourself with the Word of God. And I, I was uh, thinking about this just, just before I walked into the room. What do I actually mean by that? How do you read the Psalms? How do you read the Scripture? Like I said, very often we open the Bible, we read it, and phew, let's go to sleep. Or usually maybe fall asleep while you do it. How do you read the Scriptures? Do you read the Psalms daily? And put yourself in their shoes for a second. Be David. Be Moses. Be John there on the island of Patmos. So that, so that you could have not only this intellectual connection with what's happening there, but even emotionally 
feel what is happening there. And I know it's dangerous, but we need to do this because the psalmist is doing that. How do you read the Word of God? And then prayer. Oh, if we neglect prayer, how can we have the right affections to God? And we all, when the moment we say that, we all go, oh, yes, I know. We need to pray. Pray the Word of God. Again, go to the Psalms and let those Psalms be your prayers if you don't know how to pray. And I'm not, I'm not the best in reading, reading poetry, but I really tried hard when I read the Psalms. Maybe you've noticed. I tried to put the emotion in there. That's how we should read the Psalms. Put the emotion in there that's naturally there. And sing. Singing is such a gift. I always counsel people who are struggling specifically with sexual sin. I always tell them, listen, learn some hymns that speak about the holiness of God. And whenever you feel tempted, start singing that. And I dare you to sin. If you sing about God is holy, 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 and you continue to sin. I said this last week in church, and I, someone, someone took me to task, which is probably right. But I said, I doubt that you're a Christian. I doubt that you're a Christian. If, if the holiness of God is in your mind and you continue in sin, you, you willfully say, no, God. Oh, I've got big doubts about your salvation. It doesn't mean we don't fall. Obviously, we do. And when we do, we always turn back to Christ for forgiveness. So don't get me wrong. But there, there's a certain truth in that. Let me close with Jonathan Edwards' statement that he makes. The Spirit of God in those that have sound and solid religion is a spirit of powerful and holy affections. And therefore, God is said to have given the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And such, when they receive the spirit of God in his sanctifying and saving influences, are said to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, by reason of the power and fervor of those exercises the Spirit of God excites in their hearts, whereby their hearts, when grace is in exercise, may be said to burn within them, as he said of the disciples in Luke chapter 24. If the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you, and we do the commandments of the Lord while trusting completely in Christ for His favor, Certainly, our hearts should be overflowing with joy. Certainly, every sin in my life should be placed over and against the holiness of God, and it should shame me, and it should bring me to tears and repentance. I pray that this will be more a part of my own life. I'm there with Paul saying, I'm pressing on, but I haven't achieved it yet. But this, you know, that's, that's the joy of the preacher. You prepare things, and it touches you first. I pray that our emotions will be true and that we will not shy away from emotions but have the right emotions, that our affections would be based on the truth of Scripture and that through that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. Well, there you go. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that so often we get this wrong and the reality is in our human flesh, the heart is deceitful above all things and the mind needs renewal. We think wrongly and then we act wrongly. We hold on to things that we shouldn't and we deny the things that we should. 
We find ourselves truly there in Romans chapter 7 as the Apostle Paul describes his desire in his heart to live according to the law and yet in his flesh he feels himself or he sees himself constantly doing that which he should not do, that which he doesn't even want to do. But God, I do pray that in this confusion that's in, that's in churches where people have certain emotional expressions that are so void from truth, that we would also not err on the other side and saying no emotion whatsoever because emotion is so dangerous. Let us embrace true affections. May the inclination of our hearts and souls be, be informed by the glorious Word of God. And may that lead us then to worship you in spirit and in truth with hearts burning, with hearts overflowing all to the glory of our Savior. And what a wonderful time it'd be, it would be that day when we will meet you face to face and we will join the 24 elders, we will join the crowd around them, we will join the angels upon angels who stand before God and those four holy creatures singing out His holiness and His goodness. And we will praise the slain Lamb. And I bet you, God, we will do that with true affections and the right emotions because of what our Savior has done. All glory belong to Him. Amen.